0: Hey there boys and girls, welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm Andrew Brandt. Music underscoring me is from Sam Brandt. Boy Blue Tunes, Neon Bloom, the new hit. We're going to have some rants and we'll get to a special guest who recorded earlier this year. A legendary name in the NFL. You'll be interested in hearing his story as we get to it a little later. First, a couple rants before we get to our special guest, Bill Polian. I won't keep you in suspense much longer. Bill Pullian, the executive for the Bills, the Panthers, who had such a great career, and, of course, the Indianapolis Colts. He's going to talk about his career and and, and all the issues going on in the NFL. He's coming up soon. First, a couple rants. Okay, one thing that, being in Philadelphia, I hear so much about Carson Wentz moving on, getting rid of him. He stinks. He's the worst quarterback in the world. He's had some bad games. There's no question about that. But here's why the Eagles are stuck. There's no player in the NFL... That has as much invested in him, in my opinion, than Carson Wentz. There are some players that have $100 million contracts. There's a handful of those. There are some players that have had a couple number ones, maybe even more than that, traded for them. There's a few of those. But that combo platter is nowhere more plentiful than with Wentz. He not only has multiple ones and twos traded for him to acquire him for the Eagles, but he's now had the second contract at a much higher level in the early years than someone like Patrick Mahomes. So he's making 150 guaranteed. It is a massive deal. And this is something that we're going to look at and say, how are the Eagles going to get out of this? Well, they can't. You know, this is an organizational top-down investment. It's not like everyone says sunk cost. Sunk cost is is drafting a number one pick as the Arizona Cardinals for Josh Rosen. And realizing you can't play, you have a better option in the next draft. All right, you've got a sunk cost and you get a second-round pick for him. Sunk cost is if the Jets decide to move on from Sam Darnold this offseason because they draft Trevor Lawrence and they get what they can for that. That's a major investment, top five pick, quarterback, big money in draft-wise, but hey, that is nothing compared to moving on from Carson Wentz because it's a second contract, and it's a top-level contract for the most important and elite position in all of the football world. So, You just can't get out. So maybe you can. Maybe the cap clears. The guarantees clear at least somewhat in 2022. But you got him. You know, the next year and a half, Eagles, you got him. So what now? Work with him. Make him better. Somehow make him more of a manager, less a swashbuckler, less going for every play. Now he's been hurt by injuries on the offensive line, by injuries at receiver, by injuries at running back. At one point, he's playing with only one offensive starter. So you do feel for him. And he's got a unique ability to sort of rise above the noise. Imagine if he was affected by that, which I don't think he is. I really don't. I don't think he's affected by all the noise around Philly. I think he leads a pretty hermit-like existence away from the game. Anyway, that's Carson Wentz. And uh, I feel for the Eagles because they have invested everything. I said with Nick Foles around, it was like they were cheating on him, having an affair They'd invested all of this in Wentz. And then after they got rid of Foles, not left, I'm sorry, let Foles leave, they made the huge investment in Wentz. And for better or worse, he's there at least, I think, through the new year, not this new year, next new year, when we're in 2022. So hold on to your hats, Eagles fans, Philly fans. This is your guy. This is your guy, at least for the next Twenty-four or so games. All right. The other rant I had was uh, a couple things: crowd noise. I don't get crowd noise. <laughs> I wrote about this in Sports Illustrated this week. I just don't get it. Why do we have fake crowd noise? I get it. We, you know, they want to make these games seem as normal as possible with empty stadiums or only a smattering of fans. But why? What is the value of fake crowd noise? I don't care. I mean, the players don't care. They can't hear it. The smattering of fans don't care. They can't hear it. Who really wants it? And, and I guess it's some combination of network executives and NFL saying we got to do this, this league-curated audio. But to me, it's just unnecessary. Why? why? Why do we have fake crowd noise? What's the alternative? I say listen to the game. Now, I know it's not going to have you know, cheering, But all the noise and the calls, and I think we heard some of that this week with the Raiders and Chiefs game. You heard Derek Carr, you know, say James Harden (laughs) and say all these things. Say Pistol Pete. I thought that was cool. More of that, the better. Less crowd noise, the better. Maybe because the Raiders, I don't know why in that game, we seem to get a lot more of it. Maybe they listened to me in that game because I tweeted that before the game. Who knows? But that was cool. So a plea to the NFL. Less fake crowd noise if not completely get rid of it more real authentic not fake noise from the field okay and a final quick rant before we get to our special guest um deandre baker now signed by the practice squad of the kansas city chiefs i just feel an an injustice was given to this guy you know we heard this sort of scarface like armed robbery back in the summer in may him and uh, Dunbar from the Seahawks and they opened fire and they stole things and they walked armed robbery and all these kind of things. And then the Twitter and social media firestorm and the Giants submitted, you know, they released him and it didn't happen in Seattle with Dunbar, but the Giants submitted. Now he had some other issues, but again, he was a first round pick without that, without this surrounding firestorm, I'm pretty sure the Giants would have kept this kid. But they got caught up in it, and now, lo and behold, last week, look what we got: all charges dropped. There was a lawyer trying to extort him; he was arrested. There will be there will be uh, uh, sleazy lawyers sometimes, and that happened. So DeAndre Baker suffered some financial and reputational hit on all this, and luckily, he's he's saved by the Chiefs, at least with the practice squad. The Chiefs have had their own issues. In different responses, with Kareem Hunt kicks a woman. He's gone. Uh, Tyreek Hill threatens the mother of his children on a audio. Uh, the firestorm was there. Everyone, I remember people saying, Tyreek Hill will never play again, let alone for the Chiefs. And of course he did, and he was given a new contract. So you see what happens. Now, DeAndre Baker didn't have that luxury of institutional stardom that Tyreek Hill had for the Chiefs, but nevertheless... It just strikes me, you know, with uh, DeAndre Baker now signing with the Chiefs after all charges have been dropped that had the Giants waited like the Chiefs waited on Tyreek Hill, but again, he's not the level of Tyreek Hill. Greater talent equals greater tolerance. It would have been different. Okay, we'll get to our special guest in a minute. First award from our continuing sponsor. DraftKings. The holiday season is in full swing, and DraftKings wants to put you at the center of the action. If you haven't tried it yet, head to the app store now. You don't want to miss what DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. It's ensuring that all new customers are covered up to hundred dollars. That's right. You bet they cover the risk-free Sunday, all of Sunday's action, hundred dollars. Don't miss out. On top of that, DraftKings Sportsbook has special odds boosts, promotions every week. It's safe, reliable, secure makes it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, download the top-rated DraftKings Sports app. Use the promo code ROSS, all caps, R-O-S-S. When you sign up, get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right, new customers can bet this Sunday risk-free up to $100 when you see promo code ROSS during a sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? One eight hundred Gambler or in Indiana one eight hundred nine with it. Now our special guest on this week's edition of Business of Sports is legendary NFL executive Bill Polian, Hall of Famer Bill Polian. And Bill is going to talk about his career, his stops in Charlotte and Buffalo, and of course with the Indianapolis Colts dealing with Peyton Manning, the rules of the game, the way the game's going, so many issues to get to. Without further ado, special guest on this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast, recorded earlier this year in June, Mr. Bill Polian. Welcome. Good to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be with you, Andy.
0: You know, when I was with the league, um I just remember just an initial uh memory when I when I was a young whippersnapper just joining the Packers, we'd go to the management council meetings every year. And uh you know, I'm gonna embarrass you, but I was a nobody, uh just a kid working for the Packers in salary cap management and running the uh player finance. And uh, I I always remember people like this. You treated me like I was uh, president of a team. And that, to me, is one of the most admirable characteristics of someone that treats the low-level employees as well as the upper-level employees. So I want to give you kudos of that. I'll never forget it. And uh, I'm glad you're someone that treats people that way.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that, that I treated you well. (laughs) <laughs> you never know in this game, you know, and especially at management council meetings where uh, where feelings ran high, to say the least.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a weird league in my view because I work for the only team without an owner, as you know, and we just had sort of a different autonomous structure, as everyone knows, where we didn't have an owner and we didn't have someone kind of calling the shots from a from that point of view, as someone who worked for different ownerships, you know, maybe talk about that and how different your experiences were with different teams. And, and compared to me, of course, not as much autonomy, but how much autonomy you felt in those situations.
1: Well, uh, Jim Finks, who, who, as you know, is the patron saint of all general managers, mm-hmm. um, told me when I was a very young man in the business, actually in the USFL in, in Chicago, he was with the Chicago Cubs at the time uh, and was kind enough to spend some time with me. And that kindled a friendship that lasted uh, for the rest of his life. Um, he, he quoted a maxim that said players play, and coaches coach, and scouts scouts, and general managers manage, and owners own. Hmm. <laughs> If you stop to think about it, uh, it's absolutely true, and and owners call the shop. they have the final say. That said, I worked for three really different owners during my time um, directly. Mr. Hunt, when I was in Kansas City, was was uh, a, a monument. You know, he <laughs> I, he was always very pleasant, and and. and 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 very nice, you know. And we'd go out of his way to be nice to everyone. But I mean, he was a up uh, up there on Mount Olympus. I I said hello to him uh, on a few occasions, but that was about it. Because um, I was a low level employee as well, about as low as you can get. And uh, but I did work closely with Ralph Wilson in Buffalo, and Jerry Richardson in Carolina, and Jim Ursay in Indianapolis. And in 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 Ralph's case, uh, he was really at heart a fan. I mean, he would get so excited on game day, and if we lost, he was really really down in the dumps, and he'd be mad and 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 question the play calling and get mad at <laughs> players and things like that. And I just you know would let him vent, <laughs> and and by Tuesday he'd be over it. But, uh, but uh, that—that's that, where his heart was. As as far as being a, a businessman owner, I learned more from him than I did from any other owner that I'd ever come across, uh, because he was so savvy and went all the way back to the days of the AFL, mm. and. You know, when they existed on shoestring budgets, he bought the franchise for $100,000 in Buffalo and put $25,000 into it for operating expenses for an entire year. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's the other way around, 25000 for the purchase of the franchise and 100000 for operating expenses. And so <laughs> uh, he counted every penny and, and he taught me to count every penny. And uh, and it was great, great, great training. And he had an act, uh, yeah. two axioms that that I remember. And then he had a great sense of humor. I'll share that with you in a second. But the, the the two axioms were economics will always prevail. He's absolutely correct. If you can't get the economics right, you won't last as a franchise or a league. And the second one was advice his father. Uh, gave him, he, he revered his father who started a very successful insurance agency in Detroit. He said, always smile at bankers and policemen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, that's a, a very good maxim <laughs> to follow. And, and Mr. Wilson was a person who kind of wore his heart on his sleeve, but his heart was as big as all get out. Um, I said when I left, And and there's a postscript to this, but I said when I left, someone asked me, are you annoyed with Mr. Wilson? I said, no, I'm not. He made a decision that he thought was best for the franchise. But I know this. If anything ever happened to me, um, the first call my wife would get would be from Mr. Wilson. Mm. I know that. Because he cares about the families of the people who work for him. He cares about the people who work for him, and he never forgets. And so time passed. I went on to Carolina at the league office, uh, Indianapolis, left uh, the game and, uh, and was working for ESPN, got off a plane in San Francisco, and um, and my phone had this these messages called Scott Burkhold, who was the PR director in Buffalo. And I thought, oh, my Lord, something's happened to Mr. Wilson because we'd see each other at league meetings and stuff like that, we and and we always shared jokes. Constantly, mm-hmm. he'd always he come to me at a league meeting, say, any new jokes for me," and, and so I would hoard them and save them to give them to him at the league meetings. We always had a great time, and <laughs> uh, and so, and and he said publicly, um, sometime before this, uh, that he he was asked what was the biggest mistake he made, or the, he said letting Bill Pulley and go, which was a gracious thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, I looked at the phone, and, and, and so I said, oh, my heavens, something's happened to Ralph. And so I called Scott, and he said, no, 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 Ralph's okay, but he wants to talk to you. So I said, okay. I dialed the phone. I'm down in the Baggage uh, uh, area, of San Francisco Airport. And he got on the phone, and his, his voice was, had lost its timber by that time. He was in his 90s. Mm-hmm. And he said, listen, I want to be the first person to tell you this. I didn't want anybody else to hear it from you other than me and uh, he said you've just been named to the Buffalo Bills wall of fame hmm. and uh you know that that says all you need to know about the relationship and my respect for him um so he he's a he's a he took a chance on me when i was an unknown kid and uh and and but for him i i would not have had a career so um there's a great deal of respect and affection and admiration and that lasted to this day with his widow, Mary Wilson. Jerry uh, Richardson was a different guy, entirely. Entrepreneur, hard driving, had been a player uh, for two years in the late 1950s with Johnny Unitas and the Colts. He was a good player, the best player ever to come out of Watford College, as most professional players are, especially if they come from small schools. And uh, he had made a fortune... In the uh, in the fast food business, he was very customer oriented, very forward facing, very image conscious, um, and and very much a motivator. And he believed that he could motivate anyone. And um, and he he thought, I think, um, that he had a lot more on field knowledge than he really possessed and I think over time he he learned that that was true but in the early going um you know he was he was much more invested in talking to the players and and uh, and and getting involved and talking with the coach uh you know on a weekly basis about x's and o's and things like that so it was it was different it was a different circumstance mm-hmm. um and over time um I think he learned what most new owners do, that the league is really, really hard. It's hard to win one game, much less ten. Um, you know, players are players. Um, they respond to, each one responds differently to motivation and 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 different things motivate different players. They're grown men. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, he, he developed quickly some wisdom over time. But the, the early going for an expansion franchise is always difficult because, and in this particular case, I think doubly difficult because they, uh, uh, the Panthers had won a competition with other cities to get the franchise. And so not only Mr. Richardson, but he, he, he was more level-headed than most, but many of the people on the business side thought that because we had gotten the franchise, we'd won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and the football people came in, led by me, and, and, and you know, when I was Buzzkill Bill, I said, "Listen, <laughs> all we got was a chance to go get beaten up by the San Francisco Forty ers We're a long way from being a championship team." And uh, <sighs> and, and and you know, it, it was a a hard go the first year. The second year, we had tremendous success. Uh, losing to your Packers in the in the NFC Championship game, but uh, it, it, it probably the success came too soon, and uh, and took a little while for everybody to get grounded. By that time, i left for Indianapolis, and 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 they went through some hard times, but eventually righted the ship. And Mister Richardson became a very powerful person within league circles because of his um, business acumen. And, and his knowledge of markets particularly because he had fast food franchises all over the country. Um yeah. and so he became a, a real powerful person within the in the context of the National Football League. But he was just just learning what the league was all about when when I worked for him in the early going. Um and then Jim Ursay was the son of Bob Ursay who owned the Colts. Um he got the team Uh, the ownership of the team upon his father's death that was contested by his father's widow who was his father's second wife, but Jim eventually prevailed in the court proceedings and he was the most knowledgeable football owner that I worked for Hmm. Um, aside from being a great person as well um, he had been a general manager, he'd been an equipment guy. He'd lined the fields. Uh, he'd done every job there was to do except play and coach. Uh, and he knew a heck of a lot about both because he played at SMU and, uh, and, and, and knew the game inside out. So when we would have a conversation about uh, whatever football matter it might be, coaching, scouting, player evaluation, um, league rules, league policy, strategy, uh, what would take two hours with an owner who wasn't as as versed, well-versed in the detail as Jim, um, took 15 minutes with him. Uh, and typically, he'd say, what about uh, so-and-so? I'd say, well, you know, he's a bit of a teaser. I'm not sure he's going to be a long-term guy for us, but he's a good, solid backup right now. And, um, and he, he, he'd nod his head and say, yeah, okay, we're probably looking to replace him. I said, yes, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it, <laughs> those, those, those were the conversations. Uh, he was really, really hands off. He allowed myself and the coach, um, to, um, to do what we had to do without interference and, and with only the slightest of suggestions. I mean, he, he, he let you do your job. If he felt something was going wrong, he'd let you know about it, you know, on certain terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he 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 really was he really was supportive. There's a great story, which I guess typifies Jim. He, in those days, the draft was on Saturday. Uh, he came in. Uh, he'd come in on Friday to look at the board and talk through uh, the first round. Generally speaking. And of course, he knew all the players too. He'd watched the film and all of that. But he, but he never, never interfered in any way. He never even ventured an opinion. So he said, "Who are we thinking about in the first round?" So Tony led off, and he talked about a defensive end from Colorado that we really liked. And 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 uh, Tony said, "Bill has a guy he really likes too." And I, I said, "Well, you know, I like Dallas Clark, the tight end from Iowa." he's going to add another dimension to our offense. And I went on to a little bit explaining what Dallas was all about. And, uh, and Jim said, well, you guys got it covered like you always do. He said, I, whatever judgment you make, I trust implicitly, it'll be the right one and it'll be successful. And so, uh, you know, let's look forward to tomorrow. So he's walking out of the room, turned around while well, he was in the doorway, and he said, you know, I just let you know if it were me, I think I'd pick Dallas Clark. <laughs> and Tony laughed like that. He said, "I guess I know who we're taking." <laughs> so <laughs> I said, to Jim, you just broke the tie," <laughs> and he laughed. We all had a big laugh over it. And then the next day, of course, uh, I, I think that Dallas, the player that Oakland took, the player that I can't uh, forgive me—I can't remember his name—to save my life. He's a great guy. It was a. And ended his career with us, by the way.
0: Um, huh.
1: But I'm just drawing a blank on the name. But Dallas obviously was our choice because he was the guy that was left. But it, it, that's just typical of Jim.
0: You know, a couple of the owners you just talked about. Uh, a couple follow-ups, and I don't want to. I don't want to cast any negative aspersions on Mr. Richardson because I, like you, saw him and his great impact on the league and the CBA negotiations and being an advisor and confidant of commissioner Goodell, were you saddened the way he left ownership? And I'm bringing it up now, of course, were days from his statue being removed from the front of the stadium, Panther stadium, you had to have some personal feelings about that.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, shocked. Yeah. I, I had never seen, heard, imagined anything, uh, you know, that was alleged or that supposedly went on. It was it was absolute. I was just shocked to my shoes. There was, I'd never had an inkling of any of that. And no one had ever come to me and said, listen, there's a problem. You know, it, from what I could gather, some of it was post-dated, uh, a lot of it post-dated my time there. And he had also, of course, had some very serious health issues that that you know took place during that period of time. So maybe that's the explanation. I don't know, but I was I was shocked because I had and said publicly I had absolutely no knowledge of anything like that, no inkling of it. No one ever called me. No one ever reported anything. Nothing. So uh, I was shocked, and then saddened. Um, to see the statue, it's sad to see him leave. I think the statue is—it's just a statue. Uh, I don't think there's there's a lot of symbolism there, a lot of a lot of gravitas there. Uh, but it was sad to see him leave the Panthers after investing so much of his body and soul into building the franchise. And it's sad that his legacy in in here in Charlotte, where I now live is uh is tarnished
0: yeah it has to be and again it's interesting to hear you say you had no idea all the things that were alleged came out in that sports illustrated article nothing you ever saw
1: yeah i mean you just that's first time i've heard of anything about that
0: and in indianapolis you know speaking of (laughs) a different kind of guy i mean it's interesting you talk about ursay with all his football knowledge and being involved and because we see him, I guess, from afar as a, a true eccentric with the musical instruments, uh, the vintage instruments and buying the the Beatles stuff, uh, you know, kind of a way more than football. So it's interesting for me to hear uh, about his football knowledge and prowess as well.
1: Oh, yeah. He, he's way more than football. That's true. Uh, you know, he's the world's living expert on Jack Kerouac. Um, he bought yeah. the original manuscript of on the road. Uh, we, we used to talk a lot about that because i coached at Columbia and Jack Kerouac played briefly at Columbia, not when I was there, of course. Uh, and then we taught politics and, and government. And, and I was, I, I, and another member of the front office, Pete uh, uh, Ward were the liaisons to, uh, to government uh, and, uh, And so we talk about that all the time. And he was very knowledgeable about that, but you know, music is kind of his passion. Um, that's, that's another of his passions. It's something that he really cares about. And, 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 you know, and the the guitars and all of that are, are important to him. That's, it's something that, um, that he cares about. And you, and when you talk to him about it and he shows you, shows them to you, it's, it's really, um, it, it comes shining through, um, I don't want to say he's a renaissance man, but, but he's a multifaceted person. And, uh, and when you get to know him, he's really fun and interesting to talk about. But he's also knowledgeable, knowledgeable, knowledgeable. You can't, I mean, I can't tell you how, how deeply ingrained the game is in him, the NFL. He can talk about any number of different subjects. We served together on the management council the group that actually constructed the salary cap he was an mm. important factor in its development he understands it inside out and um, and like Ralph Wilson he came up in the, under the old school so uh, to borrow a phrase from Jerry Jones he counts every sock and jock and well uh, <laughs> so, you know he he's, he's he understands virtually everything about the business different than what is uh, what people perceive publicly I, I, absolutely it's very different
0: absolutely and and i can't leave your time in indianapolis without talking about of course uh paid manning you're kind of inextricably linked you two and what what a successful run there you know obviously it's easy to talk about all the success and but i, I just want your thoughts on the way it ended um it's hard to believe there was a transaction in 2012 on the NFL daily personnel wire that said uh, Peyton Manning terminated Indianapolis Colts. You obviously had a grooved path to Andrew Luck and, uh, you know, and Peyton had gone through the, the injuries. And I'm I'm remiss to say you were actually, you were gone by then too. So it must've been an interesting time.
1: Oh, it was, it was, and and like all um, partings, uh, you know, it, it's it's now sweet sorrow when it was then. There, <laughs> there weren't a lot of sweetness about it. I mean, we were sorrowful, and uh, because we had had such a great and enjoyable run, um, and uh, you know, to this day, I've never asked him. About why he made the decision, you know I'm, my position always is on his own he made the decision that's it move on right. and uh and and so you know while it was hurtful uh, as it always is and, and I and I hurt most for all the other people that lost their jobs um you know it is part of the game that's what we sign up for um in Peyton's case um it, I think it had to hurt a lot more because, when if you recall in '11 when we came back from the the uh, uh, lockout, Peyton and I sat down and had a long discussion about what the future would hold. When was I going to go? When was he going to go? Um, we were inextricably linked and, and 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 really wanted to go out together. <laughs> Not the way we went, <laughs> but. Uh, but, uh, you know, the feeling generally was that we would like to go out together. And, uh, and uh, so we had those discussions. And he made it clear that he, like Derek Jeter, wanted to end his, end his career as a cult. And so when that didn't come to pass, it hurt him badly deeply um, because he was so attached to the community, um, mm-hmm. his kids born there. Um, uh, he, he, uh, endowed Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, uh, which is a, to this day is a, a, a monument both to his generosity, but his feelings for the Indianapolis community. Um, he was a cult through and through, um, there is no, uh, Lucas Oil Stadium without Peyton Manning. It truly is the house that Peyton built. And, uh, and so he, he was, he was Derek Jeter. I mean, he was not only the face of the franchise, he was the face of the state. And because of him and his teammates, the Colts had gone from fifth in the pecking order in sports in Indianapolis and Indiana when we got there to the very top of the heat, the only Indianapolis team ever to win a world championship. So um, the, the, everything that we had achieved was, in the context of Indianapolis and Indiana, Monumental. And, uh, and, and and he wanted to end it as a cult. And so it hurt him badly. And um, I remember a phone conversation with him after um, or just before he was being released and before the press conference um, when he said to me, do you think there's any chance I could stay? And I said, no, Peyton, you, you have to steel yourself to the fact that this is over. At least in Indianapolis, and, and the mm-hmm. next chapter is going to begin somewhere else, and and and, and that'll be fine, and, and and you'll be fine. But steel yourself to the fact that this is over. He was to the very end trying to figure out some way for him to stay, um, and that's why when they came back and when we came back for the dedication of the statue at the stadium, it was so heartwarming, um, you know, to see him back in town and. And and you know, getting the, the recognition that he that he so justly deserved, and and enjoying, uh, in effect, his retirement from the Colts. So, uh, uh, and, and to me, that was a tremendous, tremendous, wonderful experience. So, you know, he went on to uh, he went on to win a Super Bowl with Denver, and uh, and I don't doubt that we would have done the same had we stayed in Indianapolis. But Andrew got his chance and and did well, and unfortunately, um, they didn't do as good a job of building the team around him as we did building around Peyton, and and so injuries took their toll, and and he's gone now. But um, I think you know the new administration, Chris Ballard, and of course Frank Wright, who's been an assistant on our staff, and was all the way back with me to 1985 in Buffalo, right. um, is is a great coach and. And they're on the right they're on the right track so the moral of the story is that um, there are very few happy endings in sports <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in, in, in the long run uh, uh, talent and excellence is recognized and and, and everybody reconciles in the end and, and that's what's happened so in that sense it is a happy ending
0: We'll be back with Bill Polian in a minute. First, a word from a new sponsor. It's Fundrise. We've heard for years it's important to have a diversified portfolio with stocks, with bonds, with mutual funds. But it's never been that easy. It hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now. That's due to Fundrise. They make it easy for all investors to diversify building a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're looking to start in real estate or add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Fundrise is an investing platform. It makes high-quality, high-potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. Their team of real estate professionals carefully vets, actively manages all their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. So, start by building your better portfolio today. Get started at fundrise.com slash BOS, Business of Sports, all caps, BOS, to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's FUNDRISE, fundris dot slash B-O-S. Have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. FUNDRISE.com slash B-O-S. Now back to our guest, Bill Polian. In Peyton's last year, obviously there was a lot of there was injury and he went through a rotating group of uh backup quarterbacks. I remember you saying that was a regret of yours not to steal that position. Maybe comment on that and, and what we're seeing now with backup quarterbacks and the Packers and Eagles, even though with extremely established quarterbacks taking ones very high in the draft and You know, kind of your feeling about that position, you know, you have a cap and there's this thing out there that the second most important player on the team is a backup quarterback. I'm not sure I believe that. I mean, perhaps if you have an injury prone starter, but uh, I wanted your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I think it, it, first of all, uh, to go back to the patent, the the backup behind patent decision, it was a cap decision because mm-hmm. our, we were a contending team, um, you know, for nine or 10 years. We were in the running for the Super Bowl every year. So our mindset was, how do we get to the Super Bowl? And uh, Not how do we win the division, but how do we get to the Super Bowl? And so um, the, 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 the follow-on question with, re- with respect to the salary cap was, um, you know, where do we invest our cap dollars? We have um, 12 great players, you know, Marvin Harrison, Dwight Freeney, Edger and James, uh, Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning, you know, five Hall of Famers, and, and Jeff Saturday, who arguably is, you know, and, and on and on. You know, we had really 12 really solid great players that made up the core of our team. They had to be paid. So where do you put the money? you put it in additional players? On, on, defense who can make us better or do you put it into a veteran backup quarterback? And so we elected to put it into, into position players at other positions to, to, to increase our depth, um, and, and to make sure that we could, could withstand a 16 game season and then a playoff run where we have to face the Steelers and, and, and the Chargers and, and Patriots or some combination of, of, of those three teams. So um, we've made the decision um, because Peyton had never been hurt, had never missed a game. We made the decision to put the money elsewhere, and it turned out to be the wrong decision. And, um, and I regret it. Um, it was a mistake. Now, in today's game, you're faced with the same dilemma, Especially contending, it only it only impinges on contending teams. If you're if you're not a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl, you're in the process of building yourself into that, so you don't face that dilemma. Uh, and and you know the loss of your starting quarterback isn't as tragic as it is when you're when you're competing for all the marbles, as you know that window doesn't stay open very long. And right. for ourselves and the and the Pats to be up, you know, for what amounts to in Pat's case, about 16 years, and in our case, 12. Um, you know that that's almost impossible to do, but we did it because we both had great quarterbacks who had longevity. So, um, you know, we should have invested more in a backup quarterback who could operate our offense um, in, in a way that was efficient. No one could ever operate it the way Peyton did. Um, but uh, we needed to have somebody who could operate it e- efficiently, and, and and that and that would have been a veteran. Now, the investiture of high picks in in, in quarter rookie quarterbacks um, is probably a wise thing. If that guy's the best guy on the board, because it's the hardest position to come by, but to think that. He can come in and play as a rookie or even as a second-year player and hold the court If anything happens to number one, I think is is a little bit far fetched. Yeah. So when you make those kind of picks, those are picks for the future, not not the present.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you one more thing about Indianapolis, as there's been so much attention played. We'll talk about race in the news, obviously, but uh, the Rooney Rule and. increasing minority opportunities. You know, I don't know how you fix it. Um, because I remember you saying to a group of us, um, Tampa Bay fired Tony Dungy and you knew within, I don't know, a minute, (laughs) five minutes that he was going to be your next coach in Indianapolis. Now, of course he's black. Um, that would be not allowable if he were white, and you know, we've seen examples of that, like with with the Gruden in uh, Oakland. They knew for a fact they were going to hire him, and any other interview was not going to be realistic. I, I just wanted your thoughts on the Rooney Rule as we continue to develop the best way to increase minority hiring in the NFL.
1: Well, I have some strong opinions about it. I, I first of all, the record of the last two years is abysmal. Um, we've got to do better than that. I think that the the revisions um, of the Rooney Rule, putting forth uh, an outside minority candidate in addition to an inside minority candidate, or requiring two outside candidates, whatever the case may be, you have to have two minority candidates for every management job: head coach, general manager, coordinator, personnel director, um, is a is a good thing. Um, because, as Tony Dungy taught me, the more exposure you give minority candidates to ownership, who, after all, are part of these high-level um, management uh, hiring decisions, um, the more exposure you give minorities, the better opportunity the owners get to know them. And as you know, and, and perhaps our listeners don't, everybody talks to everybody all the time in the national football thing. Yeah. So. It's not uncommon for me to call you and say, Andy, what did you do with this particular contract? What about this agent? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's always talking all the time. You don't give right. away state secrets, but there's a lot of a lot of conversation within the industry. I imagine that's true in every industry. But um, the bottom line is, uh, if if, an, if a minority candidate has a good interview in Indianapolis but doesn't get the job, and and the owner thinks highly of them. Uh, when that owner gets a call from the San Diego Chargers who are who are looking for a head coach and they say, Did you interview Joe Blow? And the owner says, Yeah, I sure did. He was a finalist. He was really impressive. That 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 gives that candidate a leg up on the next job. So that's really good. It it, it and it worked. It worked. When we put the Rooney rule in however many years ago, two thousand two and whatever it was, it worked. Um so we just need to make sure that that pipeline is kept full. As far as development of younger coaches, I serve on a committee called the Personnel Development Committee, where we try to identify both qualified candidates and, and think about how to mentor and bring along minority candidates. Uh, and I, I went to the, the bowl games and and, and a number of college games and, and, and watched Uh, The all-star games and watch the young coaches coach. And I got a list of about 12 guys that that Mm. are minority coaches that I think have a chance to advance. And so we need to put those guys into a database, have somebody that follows them, like an officer advisor follows officers in the United States military uh, and and puts them in the right jobs, helps them if they happen to be on a staff who gets fired. Um, follows their careers, uh, is able to offer advice, things of that nature. If we do that, we'll keep the pipeline full. And, um, you know, the focus on, well, this guy isn't a play caller or this guy doesn't do this or that. I mean, we're going to say, in the Hall of Fame. He never called a play except on a goal line in short yardage. (laughs) There's been plenty of great coaches who don't call plays. Um, That's just nonsense. So, um, I, I think I, first of all I think we will make progress this year when we stop and think about it. You got Jim Caldwell out there. Um you got Marvin Lewis out there. Um you've got uh, the former coach of the Jets out there, he did a great job in New York. They didn't win because they were in a rebuild situation, but he did a terrific job, Todd Bowles. Um mm-hmm. you got young guys like the offensive coordinator in in uh, in Tampa Bay, left which that I hear marvelous things about. And, and, and many others. So the enemy, the, the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, who, who Andy puts his imprimatur on, and if Andy if Andy recommends it, that's good. And It should be good enough for anybody. Um, so I, I think we'll make progress, but we, we just lost our way a little bit. It, but there's a way. There's a way to to make this happen and happen quickly, and it, and it needs to.
0: And is that way what they're doing? just requiring more interviews and more opportunities to meet these. And like you said, obviously the, the communication networking as well.
1: Yeah. I, I, that goes a long way in the hiring process. Yeah. It goes a long way. And the fact that, you know, as a general manager, George Young told me, uh, when I first got the job in Buffalo, keep in your upper left hand drawer, a list of six potential head coaches because you never know what's going to happen to cause you to go to that list and you should revise it every year. And lo and behold, um, Tony decided to to leave long before any of us ever thought that he would. Um, Coach Levy got sick in in Buffalo and they needed to appoint uh, uh, an interim coach. Elijah Pitts had been named, uh, we had named him assistant head coach. He stepped right into the job. Jim Caldwell had been named assistant head coach, uh, deservedly so, in Indianapolis, and he stepped in for Tony when, when, when Tony's son uh, tragically passed away, and then subsequently when Tony left and, and mm. took us to another Super Bowl. So, um, you know, it works. You you can make it work if you want to if you want to. That's 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 the key.
0: We talked about quarterbacks and we just talked about race. Let's bring it together. Obviously so much in the news about what happened, the tragedy in Minneapolis and the protests and the national conversation has roiled around the issue of race in this country, bringing it to the NFL. There's been statements from a lot of owners, obviously the commissioner. um, And the one name that keeps coming up as always is Colin Kaepernick hasn't played in three years was talking about the same inequalities and equities in the country that everyone's talking about now four years ago and hasn't played since. Just your thoughts on the whole situation of Colin Kaepernick not having a job, his activism, and your opinion, whether that scared teams away as much or more than the talent.
1: I don't think that Colin's activism caused anybody any trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back and I'm a bit of a history nerd, so let's go back and look at history. Uh, Colin began to, uh, to kneel and explained um, very publicly that he did it out of respect for the flag and for veterans at the suggestion of a combat veteran um, who felt that that was a very appropriate way to both honor the flag and, and the anthem, and at the same time, uh, recognized that Colin wanted to make a statement about what was happening to his fellow African Americans. Um, that was, uh, perfectly fine. Uh, I don't think anybody in the NFL really had any problems with it. Um, occasionally there was a player or two felt differently, but it was not anything out of the ordinary, and then the present occupant of the White House decided to make it a political issue, and that fully pulped is unfortunately magnified and magnifies whatever his particular uh, feeling is on any given day, you know, a million-fold, 10 million-fold, 300 million-fold, and it became an issue, and it was conflated right. by politics into a uh, a, a, a disparagement of the flag or those that fought for the flag. It was not. It never was. Um, I doubt that it ever will be. Uh, there will always be someone, including the president of um, the present occupant of the White House who yes. you know, wants to make it political, but I think we're past that. I hope we're past it. I think it's going to happen, and that's fine. Um, and um you know, as far as Colin's concerned, um, I think if he wants to play and he's willing to accept a salary commensurate with the fact that he hasn't played in four years and he's an injury risk because of that and that he may not fit for every team because of his style of play, if he's willing to accept a salary that's commensurate with what what, what is his uh, achievements, Recently, which aren't any, <laughs> are, um, then I think he'll have a job.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Anybody, pardon me. It will be interesting to see if anyone does sign him. I mean, he's. Do you worry about the attention factor? And you can speak to this. You know, do you want a backup player? teams have said you know for a backup they don't want whatever it brings to the attention factor
1: yeah I, well certainly that's a factor there's no question about that um, but the other side of that coin is that in this day and time you're affirming a a assuming he can play by the way which yeah, is probably course. a Pretty big assumption, you know. You, you and I are football people. Uh, being out four years is, is not doesn't lead to a lot of success. There's not a lot of people who've done that. Being out one year is hard. Four is darn near impossible. But assuming that he could, um, and just by signing him, you're affirming your commitment to uh, uh, to try and to try and help make this a better country from the standpoint of. Um, the races understanding and respecting one another, uh, and we talk about the NFL being the ultimate meritocracy, and it is. Give him a chance if he can yeah. if he can play and contribute, great. And if he can't, uh, then he, he won't, um, and that's fair. And that that's the way it's always been in the NFL. And I, I just I think if you're gonna if you're gonna sign him, you have to as a club be willing to accept the. Malarkey and, and and baloney, and I'm being charitable when I use those terms. That will come your way from the talking heads on radio and television. There's still going to be negative. There's going to be negative no matter what. Uh, whether yeah. you sign them or don't sign them, there's going to be negative. You just have to live with it. That's all. And and and, and we need, I think, most of all, we need to recognize that one side of the argument feels strongly about the flag and the anthem. Um, I'm the son of a World War II veteran. My brother Mm. is a Vietnam veteran. Uh, So I understand that point of view. On the other hand, I can understand the point of view of African-Americans who who have a long history of unfair treatment, uh, going all the way back to Reconstruction. It's only since 1957 in Brown versus Board of Education that that we have equality, if you will. So, in a historical context, that's the winking of an eye. So they too uh, have a point of view. And uh, Tony Dungy always just talk about the golden rule and uh, treat others as you would wish to be treated. And you know, I've, I've always said whenever these kinds of things arrive. Try and walk a mile in the other guy's shoes. You, yeah. You'll learn something from it, and that's that's what we all should do.
0: In our final minutes here, I know we have to let you go with, with time wise. The talk about your experiences um, again, where our careers overlapped again at ESPN, and again, I'll share something with you <laughs> that uh, I had been doing kind of front office commentary at ESPN for a couple of years. And I get a call from Seth Markman one night, which was strange. He's the head of ESPN football programming. And he just said to me, you're good. You know, we're not, you know, we're not doing anything different. I just want to let you know we're hiring Bill polian And I said, well, that's great. He said, I just want to let you know, you know, that, and he really was telling me, hey, you know, for big, big things, we're not going to you, Andrew Brandt, we're, we're going to Bill Polian uh it was just a funny call but enjoyed working with you there and enjoyed seeing you uh your your insightful analysis what were your what's when looking back on your time at espn what do you what do you think about
1: well it was great before we leave let me put in a plug for my podcast i'm getting into this yeah business of course now. It's called inside football with bill polian you can get it wherever you get podcasts we do much of much the same kind of thing we're doing here, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, my time at ESPN was great. I learned a lot. I learned a great deal. And the and the, and the, and the, the, the most important thing, uh, two most important things I learned, first and foremost, the vast majority of people in the media business are really great people who want to do a great job, and and they really want to give you the benefit of the doubt. So my advice to young people coming onto the in, uh, onto the operations side of professional sports is recognize that, meet them halfway or or a little bit more, and and they'll do more than that for you. They're really good people. You can count the bad ones, and there are some like there are in every profession, really on two hands. And and I could there weren't that many at ESPN. I can tell you that. um so that's that part of it the other part is that this is where the twain does not meet um and i I hadn't realized this people in the media business think in terms of stories um i once said to seth markman seth we got to keep talking about this guy all the time he can't play (laughs) and seth said billy who's the needle it's a good story I said, okay, (laughs) I get it. Uh, And and that's what they do. That's what they do for a living. That's what they're trained to do. And so we don't think that way inside the business. We think in terms of how do we win this week's game? How do we sign this particular player? How do we figure out who we want to draft and keep it quiet so no one else knows uh who were thinking about drafting we're always competing and and as a result we come at things from a completely different perspective and and once i learned their perspective i was i i I went back and said oh boy i wish i'd been a whole i would a whole lot different when i was working for a club because i would have saved myself and others a lot of headaches so um it was a tremendous learning experience. I enjoyed it very much. The people were tremendous. Uh, someone said that, uh, or wrote a book about ESPN called These Guys Have All the Fun. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, it is a great place to work <laughs> with wonderful people. And the friends that I made, you know, Aaron Boone and, and guys in basketball and, and, and Torch in and hockey, you know, all the guys that. That, that you see in the in the uh and and all of the anchors, I mean it's just marvelous people, great people. And uh it, it's a fun place to work and, and, and a great corporation. So um that part of it uh, I really, really enjoy. and I'd still be there, honestly, if the travel hadn't gotten to me. I mean it, my wife said after fifty five years is enough is enough. <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> okay. But uh um it's the learning experience is is great and i would encourage anybody that wants to be a coach or wants to be a general manager take a course in journalism or courses in journalism mm. and listen to the people who work in that field and get their perspective it will give you a much better view of how they see our world than you do. And they, after all, are the ones that interpret us. So it's just up to us to more than meet them halfway.
0: Yeah. It's so funny about the, wanting to talk about a player that's not any good. I'll spin it back to what we talked about earlier. When I was doing the Kaepernick you know, hits on TV, Nothing against them, but it was always about, hey, Andrew, we're going to do this on the uh, anthem protests. And I'm like, well, it's not really about the anthem, guys. It's okay. That's what we're calling it. You know, it's like <laughs> th- that, that sold, you know, they're not going to sell police brutality protest or racial inequality protest. So anthem protests. All right. All right. I backed down. You know, I wasn't going to fight it. <laughs>
1: But uh, we, we used to have great production meetings. Lou Riddick and I were on the, uh, on the insiders and, yeah. and we'd have production meetings and somebody would bring up a player, you know, we got to talk about this guy. And we'd both say, that's a uh, guy can't play. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's not a factor. Come on. <laughs> and Susie Culver nicknamed me Buzzkill Bill. Because, <laughs> you know. They'd be talking about some guy in the draft. And I'd say, no,
0: he doesn't have a chance, for goodness sake. Come on. <laughs> he sold. He sold. He sold a good segment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I was going to wrap it up with what you're doing now, but you kind of beat me to the punch with your uh, your podcast and uh, it's upcoming. So uh, I'll let you talk a little bit more about it. Anything else you're up to these days?
1: Well, that's about it. I've got my serious radio show, which is on every yeah. Wednesday night. Uh, called Late Hits. It'll be on tonight. Uh, but I'm really excited about the podcast because like this one, it's long form and it gives me a chance to talk about issues that I think real hardcore fans are interested in. Not so much the minutia, but really how the sausage is made. You know, how, how do you come to, uh, arrive at your selection in the draft? What goes into it? Um,
0: yeah. you
1: know, what's the scouts life like, um, how do you actually sit down and negotiate a contract for Peyton Manning, uh, or, or a player of that ilk? Um, uh, what are your relationships like with agents, et cetera? So, all of the stuff that, that, that sort of behind the scenes that, that you can't explain it, even in a, in a three minute segment on television or a, or a 10 minute segment on radio, um, we can, we can deal with in a podcast. And then I, I've, I've been, Fortunately, thank God, I've been around so long that i got a lot of history um, that I can relate to and and relate to things that occurred in the past that are happening now. For example, um, we all remember, unfortunately, the replacement season. um, And and in terms of just football alone, that was far worse than what we're going to face with COVID. Now, COVID, of course, is much more difficult because it's a, a life threatening disease right. uh, all that was a labor dispute but in terms of putting a team on the field um, the, the 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 replacement season was absolutely the worst <laughs> so yeah and and and, and with less um, fewer rules and, and and fewer protocols than we have now
0: <laughs> yeah i remember i never forget that replacement year i was just a Law student, but I remember uh, Bill Bill uh, Parcells never believing it was going to happen, and showing up Friday night at some Connecticut semi pro game and signing twenty guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was it was wild and wooly. (laughs) Yeah, and we get a chance to. I we actually have a podcast up that'll talk about that, and it'll be fun for for people who remember it and, and instruct it for people who don't.
0: Well, welcome to the podcast game. I've been at it a couple of years. Enjoy it for the exact reason we talked about, long form and getting, getting some deeper thoughts out there than a TV or radio segment. And really appreciate you coming on, Bill. Always great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for being such a good friend and mentor all these years.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I'll return the favor uh, here shortly.
0: Hope you enjoyed the conversation with NFL legend, Hall of Famer, Executive Bill Polian, and that'll do it. For this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast, thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my musical producer, Sam Brandt. Appreciate those of you that follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. I also, you can get more content signing up for my new newsletter delivered on sundays andrew Brandt.com is how you sign up apple podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated and we'll be back next week with another edition of the business of sports with andrew Brandt. have a wonderful safe happy and healthy thanksgiving to all of you take care